Hey folks, Andy Patton here with a lot of talk about Gonzaga's guard depth, what the roster will look like next season, some conference realignment chatter, and a preview of the big week ahead for the Gonzaga baseball team here on Mailbag Monday, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, as well as those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. Up over 640 subscribers now. It has been incredible to see the YouTube channel grow as much as it has, especially since the season ended. Gained over 150 followers since then. Really, truly, sincerely appreciate all of you who are continuing to check out the show. If you are a listener of Locked On Zags and you have not done so yet, very simple. Just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags. You'll find the channel. You can hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. Today is Mailbag Monday, and as a reminder for those of you who are interested in getting involved in Mailbag Monday, there are multiple ways you can do so. You can reach out to me on Twitter whenever you are thinking of a question. Twitter account is at ScoreZagScore. You can also reach out at LockedOnZags. I will answer your questions there. I also post a tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet and ensure that your question gets answered in the show. You can also email me, andypatton013 at gmail.com. That is a great way to ask multiple questions throughout the week or ask them all at once if you have a bunch of things that you want me to discuss on the show. All right, we are going to get right into it. This first question of the show comes from John via Gmail. John says, if you had to guess on May 16th, please give us your opinion on what your starting lineup will be for next year and who will be the rotation players off the bench. So John offered his own opinion, uh, which was very similar to the one that I did. I have maintained on this podcast a handful of times that I think Julian Strother is more likely to return. I think Roz Bolton is less likely to return. I'm about 50-50 with Drew Timmy. And then, of course, you have the current transfers. The Zags are interested in Tyrese Hunter out of Iowa State and Kevin McCullough out of Texas Tech. So many moving parts. We also don't know the injury situations for a handful of guys currently on the roster. This thing could change a bunch. Obviously, May 16th is too early to be making these predictions concretely. But that's the fun. I'm going to get asked this question again, and I'll probably give you a different answer the next time that it is asked. I think that's kind of the fun of of trying to figure out how this offseason is going to work. So since I'm about 50-50 on Drew Timmy, I decided to answer the question this week as if he is not returning and as if the Zags are then landing Kevin McCollar out of the transfer portal. I'm not sure how likely that is. He is still in the NBA draft process, and I've heard some rumblings that Kansas is, is still very much in play for his services, but let's let's take a look at what this might look like. That would be starting center, Efton Reed, starting power forward, Julian Strother. Again, this is assuming he returns and Drew Timmy does not. Starting small forward, or in this case, it would be a three-guard lineup. So the third guard would be Kevin McCollar, and then Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, the two five-star guards who came off the bench last year, would be your other starters. So Hickman, Salas, McCollar, Strother, Reed, and then the rest of the rotation in this situation would include Anton Watson, 
fourth-year guy coming off the bench again. Dominic Harris, hopefully all healthy and ready to go in what would be a very increased role as the third guard, but really kind of the fourth guard, but with three guards starting, he would get plenty of run. And then the final rotation piece would be some combination between Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, and Braden Huff. I lean towards Ben Gregg right now only because Caden Perry's back injury is pretty serious and it's unclear exactly how ready he will be. If he's 100% fully healthy and ready to go next year, I think it's reasonable that he would be ahead of Greg on the depth chart, but that's really, really hard to know right now. After that, I mean, again, this could change substantially. If Drew Timmy returns, this entire thing is completely different. If McCollar does not come to campus, the Zags may turn their attention towards other players in the transfer portal. It's going to change a lot between now and the start of the college basketball season. But on May 16th, that's the lineup and rotation I'm going to give you for right now. Next question comes from Theodore via Gmail. Theodore says, Now that Kevin McCollar and Tyrese Hunter are possible transfers and Rasir Bolton is potentially returning, I am not sure about next year's backcourt rotations. None of us are, Theodore. That is part of the issue, trying to look too closely at the roster in mid-May. Theodore continues, It seems like someone is going to get screwed over in minutes if we bring in another guard. What are your thoughts on the playing time for Hickman, Salas, and Harris if Gonzaga lands a transfer guard or brings back Bolton? Yeah, so this is kind of leads, this is a good segue after my first question, because it depends on what happens in the front court. It depends on what happens with Julian Strother and Drew Timmy. If either of those players choose not to return, I think the Zags are going to be more likely to run with three guard lineups next season. We saw some three guard lineups at times last year, particularly whenever Julian Strother was on the bench. If you consider Strother a guard, then we played almost exclusively three guard lineups last season. I kind of considered Strother as more of a forward, but... If he doesn't come back or if Drew Timmy doesn't come back and Strother plays more of his minutes at the four, I think that's going to be the way the Zags potentially curb any playing time issues in the backcourt. If, say, Rasir Bolton does return and the Zags have Bolton, Hickman, Salas, and Dominic Harris, to me that's not—the Zags have frequently had four guards— so I don't think that having four guards is going to cause a playing time crunch. If the Zags get Rasir Bolton and one of McCullough or Tyrese Hunter— then yeah, they would have an issue. But frankly, I just I just don't think that's going to happen. The staff is so aware of where their players are at, what their you know what their expectations are, and they're being honest with incoming transfers about hey, this is the situation. This is why. Uh, and I know a lot of people have speculated that it had more to do with NIL or other things. And I'm sure there was additional factors. But when you're Anthony Black or when you're Sky Clark or when you're some of the other high level transfer guards that have looked at Gonzaga, if you're being told hey. You know, we got two five-star guards who came off the bench last year. The plan is for them to start. If you're hearing that, it's maybe making you a little bit less likely to choose that place. Like, if, if Tyrese Hunter committed to Gonzaga tomorrow, my assumption would be that he was given some information regarding the status of maybe Julian Strother or maybe Razier Bolton and said, hey, now I know that I'm going to have a spot there. I'm going to have playing time. If Bolton comes back to Gonzaga... I don't think the Zags are landing Tyrese Hunter or Kevin McCuller. They may land another transfer, maybe somebody who's expecting a smaller role. But I think the staff is so aware of these kinds of situations that they're just not going to accidentally get themselves into a situation where they have five or six players for only three or four spots. I just don't think that that's going to happen. So I don't think that it's a concern that necessarily needs to be kind of broken down at this point because I just we just don't know how it's all going to shake out. Next question, another one from John via Gmail. John says, How comfortable are you with having Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas being the starting guards next year? I say if we were lucky to get Bolton back and we can get Tyrese Hunter, those two guards might 
should or should start over Hickman and Salas based on what we saw last year. What are your thoughts? I think trying to compare Tyrese Hunter to and Nolan Hickman, comparing their freshman years and saying, well, Hunter had a better year, so he should start over him, is a tremendous fallacy. If Tyrese Hunter were at Gonzaga, he would have played the same role that Nolan Hickman played. He would have been a backup point guard to Andrew Nembhard. He would have played you know, 12 to 18 to 20 minutes per game, whatever it was that Hickman kind of settled in at. And I think you would have seen a similar similar numbers for him. Whereas if Nolan Hickman was the starting point guard at Iowa State last year, he would have put up a lot bigger numbers. So I don't think that trying to make that comparison is fair. Hickman was a higher regarded player coming out of high school. I don't have any strong reason to believe that he is not a higher regarded player going into next season. If the staff felt very strongly that Nolan Hickman was not ready to be the starting point guard next year, I think they would have landed a point guard in the transfer portal up to this point. They would have told Tyrese Hunter, you're coming in, you're the man, you're starting right away. They would have told that to Sky Clark. They would have told that to Anthony Black. Maybe they did, and maybe all those guys up to this point with Hunter have chosen not to come to Gonzaga, but I kind of doubt that. I sort of don't think that's the situation. I think this staff is planning full well to go into next season with Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman playing very, very big roles on this roster. At this point, both of them would start. If Bolton were to come back to Gonzaga, that would probably move some things around a little bit. Again, it depends on what happens in the front court with Strother and Timmy. I could see a situation where Hickman, Salas, Bolton are all three starting next year. It's a pretty small starting lineup, but you could get away with that in the WCC for the most part. Might run into some challenges when you play some bigger, more physical teams, but Gonzaga has run into challenges playing those teams throughout their tenure, so I don't know that that's particularly different. Uh, To overall answer the question, how comfortable am I? If Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas are the starting guards next season, I'm going to be starting a campaign saying that this could be the best backcourt in all of college basketball. That is how comfortable I am with that potential starting lineup. I don't think that Hickman's struggles down the stretch are something we should be overly concerned about. He was a true freshman playing his first year of college basketball. Tyrese Hunter also struggled down the stretch last year. Hunter Salas, yeah, he has some offensive holes in his games. He has some more consistent outside shooting that he needs to nail down a little bit. But both those guys are very, very talented basketball players. And if they were the two starters next year, Gonzaga would be in very, very good shape. Final question of the first segment. This one was actually asked ahead of last week by Chuck via Gmail. Unfortunately, I missed it, uh, but I will read it here. He says, the NIL situation really has become pay for play, and it seems what was once done in secret is now out in the open. When NIL was being discussed, we often heard about poor college athletes who couldn't afford food, and now there are NIL deals worth far more than 99% of us will ever make. This, of course, only applies to a small percentage of athletes, so there are probably still many struggling to get by. What do you think about some sort of cap system that would go up for each player or go up for each year a player stays in school? Wealthy schools would still have an advantage because they could have many paid players as opposed to one or two, but at least everyone would have a shot at landing a high-level player since bidding won't be out of control. Schools could save enough money to provide meals for all athletes. Yeah, I don't like this. I understand what your what the thought process is. Uh, the NI since this question was asked, there has been some some rule changes that are being put into place where the NCAA is trying to prevent booster backing NIL deals, which should help curb this problem a lot. I think the the issue that I have with this is that it's not addressing, it's punishing the players for an issue that isn't the player's fault. Their their salary should not be capped. You mentioned we heard about how how hungry they were and now they make more money than we will ever make. I don't think that's a problem. Student athletes 
especially high-level men's basketball student-athletes and football student-athletes, drive more revenue for their universities than any of us will ever drive for any institution that we work at. So they deserve to get paid more money, plain and simple. If you generate millions of dollars of revenue for your school, you deserve to get a good chunk of that money. If that ends up being hundreds of thousands of dollars, great. It's capitalism, baby. It's a free market. Like, I don't like the idea of telling all student athletes, blanket basketball student athletes, this is the maximum amount of money that you can make. I just do not think that that is fair. And it's not in the spirit of NIL. You should be getting paid based on your name, image, and likeness. If your name is worth more money, if your name is Zion Williamson or Chet Holmgren or, you know, any other high, high level basketball player at college, you should not have a cap on how much money you can make. That's just not how this system should work. Getting boosters out of it so it doesn't become direct pay-for-play is a significant positive step forward. We will see how well the NCAA does it. Actually enforcing these rules uh, and trying to backdate some of this is going to be really messy and very challenging. Trying to come after Miami boosters for something that already happened is going to go very poorly for the NCAA should they choose to go that route. But enforcing their rules going forward, forcing student-athletes to only get paid based on name, image, likeness, not pay-for-play situations, is the best route forward. Punishing student-athletes by saying you can only make this amount of money and in order to make more you have to stay in college when the best student-athletes are going to have professional opportunities just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There are other ways to solve this problem outside of this in my mind. All right, we got more listeners submitted questions to answer in the second segment. We're talking Zags in the NBA. We're talking WCC hoops. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Summer is coming, and with the summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars, they're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bar, you can have both. Have you tried the Built Puffs yet? We are going crazy for the puffs. They come in crazy flavors like banana cream pie and even churro. Who doesn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? And they're only 140 calories. If that's not enough flavor for you, then you might want to try the Mixed Box. The Mixed Box comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com to get all your favorites. Banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, and so many more. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still hammering through Mailbag Monday to start out the week. This next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says... Who would win an all-time international Zags or an all-time U.S. Zags team? I will leave the rosters up to you. All right. This was fun. I, I love questions like this, especially over the offseason when we got uh, time to kill and conversations to have about stuff like this. Uh, I threw these rosters together. I'm sure that I am missing some guys. If you guys have rosters that you would do a little bit differently, then please, please, please let me know. I did eight-man rotations for each team. My international roster would be Brandon Clark, who was born in Vancouver, Canada. DeMontis Sabonis, Rui Hachimura, Andrew Nembhard, Kevin Pangos. My three bench players for that team would be Kelly Olynyk, Roni Turioff, and Quinton Hall. 
For the U.S. team, my starting lineup will look pretty familiar to current current Gonzaga fans. Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy in the front court, Adam Morrison, Nigel Williams-Goss, and Jalen Suggs in the back court, and then Jonathan Williams, Blake Stepp, and Dan Dickow coming off the bench. I think this is a fantastic game. I think those two starting lineups would be really, really fun to watch. Brandon Clark versus Chet Holmgren is a blast. Drew Timmy versus DeMontis Sabonis is a blast. Adam Morrison and Rui Hachimura is not going to involve a whole lot of defense, but that's really fun as well. And then Nembhard and Pangos versus Nigel Williams-Goss and Jalen Suggs, the battle of two point guard starting lineups. Uh, ultimately, I think I would take Team USA here, but I think that if these two teams play each other 10 times, I think it's probably going to be 6-4 and four or 5-5 five and five right in the middle. These are two really talented rosters and a testament to how well Gonzaga has recruited uh, both domestically and internationally over the last 20 years. Next question comes from DadRisk on Twitter. DadRisk says... A genie appears and says that Gonzaga can win the national championship this year, but as a consequence, Mark Few will immediately retire and the program will miss the tourney the following three years. Do you take it? (laughs) So me, I'm assuming this question is directed to me. I read it as being directed at Mark Few, in which case, absolutely, 1,000%. Mark Few gets to do this and then retire? Yes. Hell yes. He's taken that deal a thousand times out of a thousand. And frankly, so am I. Uh, missing the tournament three years in a row after making the tournament for 20-something seasons would be really tough. Missing the tournament the year after winning the championship, it would sting a little. Don't get me wrong, it would sting. But winning a championship would be well worth it. The alternative to this is just going on as normal and hoping we win a championship, I assume. Uh, And while that certainly could result in the Zags winning more than one championship or winning the tournament and then continuing to make the NCAA tournament, I would much rather, if I could smash a button that would guarantee the Zags win a championship, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I, I, I think you have to, it's so hard to win a national championship. If you have an opportunity to make sure that happens for your school, I'm taking the yes on that. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, with BYU leaving the WCC next year, have you heard any realistic chatter about Gonzaga moving to another conference? Specifically, I'm curious to know what you think or have heard about Gonzaga and the Mountain West. So Jeff wrote a very, very long, very detailed email about his thoughts on the Mountain West, what happened in 2018, the conversations they had. It was a very nice email. Uh, I didn't read all of it here for time purposes, but... I think that the biggest conversation right now has obviously been the Zags in conversation with the Big East uh, and kind of what that might shake out, how that might look. It's not happening anytime soon, uh, but it does sound like conversations have at least occurred, whether they're determining if Gonzaga would bring all of their sports to the Big East, if the Big East would expand westward and also add teams like St. Mary's potentially. I don't know exactly how that's all going to shake out. But right now, I think that's probably Gonzaga's focus over jumping to the Mountain West. Uh, We've talked about it on here. The Mountain West is not a overwhelmingly strong advantage over the WCC. In recent years, it hasn't been better than the WCC at all. Last year was a bit of an anomaly. Both conferences were up higher than they have been historically. The Mountain West was really, really good last year. A team like Wyoming took a giant step forward. Boise State was fantastic throughout the year. San Diego State was, of course, very good as well. And then you had Colorado State, who was ranked to begin the season. Uh, That was somewhat of an anomaly and unlikely to continue to happen in the Mountain West. Obviously, the WCC also had a very, very unusually excellent season. With BYU leaving, the likelihood of them still being a 3-4 bid conference is pretty unlikely. So I can understand why this conversation is coming up again. 
The Mountain West is a football conference. The Zags do not have football. That did not deter them from voting them uh, into the conference if they wanted to last time in 2018. Uh, as Jeff mentioned in his email, the Zags got a lot of kind of recessions from the WCC in order to make things work for them. They would not get that in the Mountain West, so they would lose money. They would lose some of that. Some of that stuff wouldn't work out all that well. They would also have to travel all of their teams uh, for the rest of the WCC going into the Mountain West. I don't know. It's sticky. I'm not sure that it's worth the amount of work that it is to move for what is probably only a slight improvement conference wise. Uh, I think that at this point it, it would be an improvement, whereas in the years past it was unclear if it would even be an improvement. I think this year it would be because the WCC is losing BYU, but I'm still not sure if it's going to be worth them making this kind of jump. Uh, but we'll see. I think Gonzaga is certainly going to play out this next season in the WCC and maybe kind of see how things go. If the Mountain West stays excellent and the WCC really falters, then maybe some chatter will kind of pick up in that regard. But again, I think they're focused on trying to make this chatter work with the Big East before they do anything else. Speaking of the WCC, this next question comes from Derek via Twitter DM. Derek says, how many teams will the WCC have ranked next season? Answer it however you'd like. Total teams ranked throughout the year. Highest total ranked any given week. Or how many ranked come to how many there are ranked at the end of the WCC tournament? So yeah, I was just kind of talking about how I don't think the WCC is, is that far off from the Mountain West. But I'm going to be a little bit pessimistic about the WCC's odds of having multiple teams ranked next season. I think they will absolutely have two. Gonzaga and St. Mary's, I think both those teams will be ranked for the majority of the season. I'm not confident St. Mary's will be ranked every single week necessarily, but I think that they'll probably be on there more often than not. But after that, I'm not super confident any other team is going to do more than maybe receive a few votes here or there. It's really hard to get ranked as a mount or excuse me as a WCC team because the non-conference schedules are usually not great and you have to be dang near perfect San Francisco you know they, they were undefeated and still not getting ranked even after defeating a lot of really good teams uh, and then once they lost to Grand Canyon even though they were only had one loss like that was it pretty much <laughs> so it's really really hard to do BYU has the most likelihood of doing it because of you know program notoriety and they have a f fairly good non-conference schedule but they lost a lot of talent from this year's roster into next season yeah they added Rudy Williams from Coastal Carolina to replace Alex Barcelo but they have a lot of work to do uh, and I'm not confident they're going to be good enough to be ranked next season. And teams like USF, USD, I think they're going to be good. I think USF's not going to take a step down as significantly as some people may believe. But I'm not sure that either of those teams are going to be good enough to be ranked in the top 25 throughout the season. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, final one of the segment. He says, with the NBA award season wrapped up, which Zags would you call the MVP, defensive player of the year, most improved player, and bench player of the year? So I'm just going to do those four awards for our Zags currently in the NBA. MVP, pretty obvious, DeMontis Sabonis, he was the best Gonzaga player in the NBA this season. He's been the best Gonzaga player in the NBA pretty much since he came into the league. Uh, Two-time All-Star, uh, having a fantastic career, obviously, in Sacramento now, which hopefully will uh, not do what it has done to other players in the past and kind of bury them a little bit. Uh, hopefully, he continues to have a ton of success. Defensive Player of the Year, I went with Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark could have obviously been the pick for sixth man as well. 
Uh, but ultimately, I think he's the best defensive player out of Gonzaga in the NBA currently. Uh, with the exception of Jalen Suggs, uh, it was kind of tough between Jalen Suggs. Uh, I, I initially planned for there to be Rookie of the Year, and I was planning to give that to Suggs because I'm giving the most improved player to Corey Kispert, but you could argue for Suggs as Defensive Player of the Year as well. Uh, most improved player, like I said, Corey Kispert. Uh, that's a little bit cheating because he's only had one season, but I was kind of saying between his first half of his season and the second half of his season, uh, Corey Kispert improved leaps and bounds as a rookie. He was a, a, a non-factor early in the year struggling to even get rotation minutes for Washington, even though they used a just outside the lottery pick on him. Uh, and then by the end of the year, he was starting at the two for them and he was playing significant minutes and, and having a really big impact. So for him, he gets the most improved player from first half of the season to the second half of the season. And then sixth man, I'm going to give that to Rui Hachimura. Rui averaged over 11 points per game. He didn't play in the first half of the year because of some personal issues, uh, but he was able to come back, play very, very well off the bench to the point where Washington fans were really clamoring for him to play more minutes at the end of the season, which I agree with them. So uh, rookie of the year in this case would be Jalen Suggs. Uh, if you weren't going Jalen Suggs, or if you weren't asking for a rookie, I'd probably have Jalen Suggs be Defensive Player of the Year and move Brandon Clark to the Sixth Man Award, but to each his own, right? All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions, but before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. The 2022 NCAA Tournament is in the books with a win secured by Bill Self and the Jayhawks of Kansas. While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Segment three, we're closing out the show with some questions about Gonzaga's baseball team. This first question comes from Josh Schwader at SchwaderZag62 on Twitter, who says, Thoughts on Michael Spalassi going five scoreless innings, then Brody Jesse finding his way out of a second and third no-out situation in the 15th inning and getting out of it with no runs scored. Most years that would be the game of the year, but you could argue for this year that's fourth. Yeah, an incredible moment at Patterson Memorial Baseball Complex in Spokane, Washington over the weekend. The Zags needing to win basically every game from here on out. We're playing Santa Clara. The game went into 15 innings. Michael Spalassi came out of the bullpen and threw five scoreless innings. Just an incredible, incredible atmosphere, incredible environment for the Zags to pull off a win and eventually pull off a sweep of Santa Clara. I've been saying on the podcast, they need to actually clean sweep somebody. They keep taking two out of three. Always good to finally get that full-on sweep. Santa Clara, good but not great baseball program. It was pivotal. The Zags took care of business. They did it at home during Danny Evans' memorial weekend. The Zags were out there celebrating their associate head coach, who unfortunately passed away from cancer earlier this year, to go out and win a hard-nosed, gut-punch type of game like they did on Saturday in 15 innings. To quote Moneyball, the famous movie, of course, uh, how can you not be romantic about baseball? And that's kind of what happened here for the Zags to secure a victory on that day was, was truly special. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, 
With Gonzaga baseball in great position to host a regional, what do you think the odds are of them being able to get into the top eight seeds and potentially be able to host a super regional as well? Yeah, I think it's pretty unlikely the Zags at this point have been kind of right on the line, according to Kendall Rogers and D1 Baseball and other places who kind of predict how the bracket might shake out. Most places have Gonzaga like 15th or 16th, which is right on the line to even host a regional. The top 16 teams host, the top eight teams would host into the second round. I think the Zags would have to, they would have to win out. I think in my mind, they have to win every game from here on out. Taking all three from Santa Clara was huge. They definitely needed to do that. They got Oregon on Tuesday, and then they got three on the road against the Toreros of San Diego next weekend. If they win all four of those games heading into the WCC tournament, then I think it's possible that they will be in the conversation for hosting a Super Regional, but it sort of depends on what some of those schools that are ahead of them end up doing this weekend and in their respective conference tournaments as well. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, As someone who has not followed Zags baseball history very closely, what would you say would need to happen to ensure that this team is the best Zags baseball team in history? Well, winning a regional would be pretty darn awesome if they were able to pull that out. Like I said, I don't know that they would be hosting the Super Regional necessarily, but if they win their first regional, move on to the second round in the playoffs, that would I think that would do it. I think that would almost certainly do it for this Gonzaga program. Uh, you could argue even even if they don't, even if they host a regional and they don't make it past the second round, that's still pretty darn impressive. They've had some times where they've been in conversations to host regionals. This would be their first time hosting a regional in the Mark Metcalf era. I think that alone probably solidifies it. They've had some success in seasons past, you know, long before Coach Metcalf even took over. But I think in recent history, if this team hosts a regional, that's probably enough to say that this is the best baseball season in history. If they win a regional, then I don't think there's any debate. And the final question of the show, another one from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, Gonzaga and San Diego clearly being in the NCAA baseball field, what do you think the chances are of BYU or Portland being able to do enough to be the third WCC team in the NCAA baseball tournament? BYU does have a 13-5 record against Power 5 programs, although they also have 11 losses in WCC play. Maybe we are looking at a situation where BYU or Portland would have to win the automatic berth at the WCC tournament for there to be a third WCC team in the field. Yeah, I think that's the correct assessment. Portland is on an absolute tear right now. I believe that they have won 13 consecutive games uh, to push themselves into third place in the WCC. Tremendous shout out to them. I worked with that staff, Coach Jeff Loomis, Coach Jake Valentine, are friends of mine, people I worked with directly while I was at the University of Portland. Phenomenal, phenomenal guys. I'm really pumped for this program. Genuinely very, very excited to see UP having the success that they've had, not just on the basketball field or court, but also on the baseball field as well. So shout out to them. Uh, I don't think either BYU or Portland get into the tournament unless they win the WCC tournament outright. I do think that is possible. Again, UP is playing lights out baseball right now, and they defeated Gonzaga during the regular season. Uh, so I think it's definitely possible BYU would be less likely. They would have to win out for sure. 11 losses in the WCC is just not going to get it done. Uh, I think both teams would have to win the WCC tournament in order to get in. But I think if they did, if either of those teams pulled it off, Gonzaga is still going to make the field. And I think so is San Diego. So that would be a situation where you'd get three WCC teams into the field of 64, which would be very, very cool for the conference as a whole. 
All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got more baseball talk coming this week as the team ramps up for their game against Oregon and their series against USD later this week. We're going to have some more fun stuff on the docket here at Locked On Zags as well, which you can find wherever you already get podcasts and on YouTube as well. If you haven't checked it out there, go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags and hit that subscribe button. Finally, Thank you for making Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and, of course, Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.